Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 84 of my Sookie Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Hello, so first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one and the very first episode of 2020 of episode 84 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I am a 24-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd, and each week for this podcast, I take one song by one artist from the 60s and split the show in two parts. First part is how to talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics, and the second part is how to dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part is how to talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, which do the song was recorded at, who are the musicians on the track, and whether that be the session musicians or the backup vocalists or the band members of the backing band, and uh, the history behind the artists that recorded the song and the songwriters that wrote it, and what studio the song was recorded at, and the peak position the song made up on the Billboard Hot 100 chart when it was originally released in the year and month it was released, and the record label the song was released on, and where that label is located at. All that is in the second part of this show. Moving on, let's get started on this week's song, shall we? Okay, so this week for my podcast, I'm going to do something I've never done on my show before since the dawn of my podcast, since the very beginning of it. Since it's a new year, 2020, you know, so I'm going to ex- start expanding with my show and I'm going to ch- go into some uncharted land with this show, you know, because uh, aside from the couple of things I mentioned in the previous episode of my podcast, like doing a song I don't like and doing a song by... Uh, the same artists I've done previously on my podcast, but a different song by them. Um, I've never done a song before that wasn't a hit. And let me explain that to you for a minute, because since the beginning of my podcast, I primarily have done songs that were hits when they first came out, being they charted on Billboard's Hot 100 chart in the top 40. But another subtext of music from the 60s that I haven't quite explored yet now are songs that were not hits, a.k.a. songs that did not make the Billboard's top 40 on the Hot 100 chart. And let me explain it to you for a minute. Because this is basically how hit songs, you know, happened back in the 60s. Because since there was such a huge volume of music being released every single week back in the 60s, and this isn't coming from my own personal experience because I wasn't there, but I did talk to a friend of mine who was around back then and did buy records back in the 60s. And he told me, then the mid sixties, there is an average of two hundred forty five singles that were being pre- released and pressed and being shipped out to the by the record labels to the the radio stations in all the major cities in the u s and all the big states in the u s to be played by the DJs for their own little local AM radio stations all across the country each week. So when you think about it, as you can imagine, the competition to get hit records back then was incredibly stiff. Because not every single release back then made the top 40 nationally, because if you think about it, you know, 200 songs that were being shipped 
to the radio stations every week, but only 100 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. There had to have been some songs that slipped through the cracks and didn't make it because, you know, if your song wasn't in the top 40, climbing the same position on all the major top 40 radio station music charts in the U.S. all at the same time, simultaneously, it wouldn't make the top 40 natural nationally on Billboard. And if he wrote a song that was a B-side, it was guaranteed to basically not be a hit or make any money unless it was a B-side to an A-side single that was already on the charts. But if the A-side wasn't a hit, your song basically sang without a trace not to be remembered or heard from again. Now, with that being said, there were lots of A-side singles that made the bottom half of the Hot 100, a.k.a. like the top 50 or below, that made the top 10 in specific regions of the country or specific AM radio charts for different AM radio stations in the country. Like, for example, there were some songs that made like the like bottom half the top top 50, you know, like songs that beat number 45 or 56 or 65 that were top 10 in specific uh, states in specific AM radio stations in specific parts of the country, like the Pacific Pacific Northwest or the South or the East Coast, because back then each city had their own AM radio station chart. Detroit had their own charts. Nashville had their own charts. LA had their own charts. Chicago had their own charts. And the song I'm doing this week is one of those songs that was a local hit in a specific region of the country, but not anywhere else. Now, the song I'm doing this week was from one of the most interesting Southern California bands, but this is one of the songs that if you listen to it, you might scratch your head and get confused and wonder why this didn't make the top 40, at least nationally, because it certainly had all the makings of a huge top 40 hit, yet the song didn't even make the top 40 at all on the Billboard Hot 100, but it probably was a huge hit in L.A. on their local top 40 radio station charts for the big top 40 radio stations in LA at the time, like KHJ and KRLA. And wow, the song is amazing. And you'll be blown away when you listen to it and you'll think to yourself, why was this not a huge top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the Billboard Top 40? The song came out in June 1965. It's by a band called The Birds. It's called I'll Feel a Whole Lot Better. The reason why Oh, I can't say I have to let you go, baby And right away After what you did I can't stay Oh, man. Wow. That is an incredible song. Let me tell you. Now... Uh, this week for my podcast, I'm going to dive into what makes a song so good musically and lyrically because, wow, that is just an incredible song. But first, we got to talk about the song's music first. Okay, so what makes a song really, really intriguing and so good and why it easily could have been a huge hit was nationally is his intro. Because notice how the intro is so short that it literally only lasts for like a couple seconds before the vocals come in on the song's first verse. I mean, that's true hit songwriting right there because most songs that were hits back then had extremely short intros, so they really cut to the chase and they did not waste a listener's time with super long, drawn-out intros. I mean, 
literally, I mean, but notice how it's essentially the song's main riff repeated twice, and the vocals come on right in after the song's main riff is repeated twice. That's awesome because it brings you right into the song, and the next thing you know, you're hooked right into listening to it. The other interesting thing about this track is that how certain chords are being repeated for more than just one bar, like the root chord. And even though the song's chord progression is repeated often in the song and keep things interesting, lyrics change, and so do the call and response backup vocals in the song, which are awesome, by the way. That's really, really good. Also, one also must keep in mind that the song utilizes modal interchanges by bringing in those non-diatonic chords such as B major and G major, because basically the song borrows from the Lydian mode, the Lydian and the mixed Lydian mode. But what's interesting about the song is that the chord progression doesn't go the same place every time when it changes from the root chord. The first time around it goes to 5, then the 6 minor, and then to the major 2 chord. Then the second time around it goes to the major 4, then to the minor 2nd, and then it resolves the first time around to the major five, and then that deceptive cadence happens when it goes from that minor six to the flat seven chord before going back to the song's main riff. That's what this song ends on, is that powerful G major chord, which is essentially the song's flat seven chord. The song has such interesting chord changes, and I really do think that these kind of harmonic decisions are brought on to pop music by bands like the Beatles and the Beach Boys. But really, it just goes to show you how by 1965, we're a million miles away from songs with the cliche chord changes of the late 50s and early 60s. And we were just on a whole other level of musical intelligence by this time. And also, as far as the instrumentation of the song is concerned, if there is ever one specific thing that is so dominant with the song over everything else in it, it's that 12-string electric guitar. Now, here's the thing. If you're somebody that's around my age listening to this podcast, you might not have ever heard the sound of a 12-string guitar before unless you grew up listening to Tom Petty. But really, no modern-day band in today's world really uses 12-string guitars, like unless you're in like folk music. But even in folk music, a lot of that is six-string. But, you know, because they're an instrument that has really gone out of style since the beginning of the 21st century. But really... Uh, the 12-string guitar is an instrument that is extremely unique because it gives a regular 6-string guitar a much bigger and bolder sound. And definitely gives the guitar a bigger jingle jangly sound because it's essentially a regular 6-string guitar doubled up with an extra string added to all the 6 strings on the guitar. But really, if you think about it, the 12-string guitar is also what made this band sound unique because I honestly can't picture this band without that jangly 12-string guitar. And by the way, they were using a very specific brand of um, 12-string guitar, you know, that was popularized by the frontman of the group who sang lead on a lot of the records. And because there weren't honestly too many other groups from the 60s, surprisingly, besides the Beatles that played electric 12-string guitars. And also, I wanted to point out to you how distinctive the group's vo voices sound. I mean, I literally can't think of a single other 60s band that sounded exactly like them. I mean, you really couldn't mistake their voices for anybody else's. They really had their own unique tone that made them sound like the birds, not like an another typical 60s band. And also, the tambourine in the song is incredible because it helps make the song sound larger than life, along with the song's extremely powerful rhythm guitar. And also, as far as the structure is concerned, one might wonder why the song wasn't originally a monster hit. I mean, the song, like I said before, bubbled under the Hot 100. It was not a hit. 
I mean, structurally, it followed the typical things that songs need to follow at the time in order for it to be a hit. I mean, it had a kick-ass riff, an incredible hook, and a fantastic guitar solo. I mean, when you listen to it, you'll always wonder why this never made the top 40 nationally, even though it was probably a big local hit on the L.A. radio station charts once put out by the big, two big L.A. top 40 radio stations, KHA and KRLA. And I'm going to get into that in the second part of this two-part episode of this podcast, but Essentially, um, I wanted to point out one more thing that uh, the guitar player in the song utilizes what they call a Rickenbacker 12-string. And those are extremely popular back in the 60s, but not so much today. But other bands from other from other uh, time frames other than the 60s also utilize the Rickenbacker 12-string. But it really the 12-string is really the sound of classic rock in the 70s and 80s. But really... You know the the electric twelve string really the start of it all happened in the sixties. Moving on, let's talk about the song's lyrics because what makes a song so relatable and so good today is the lyrics. Because despite the fact that the song was written and recorded in nineteen sixty five, he's writing about something that could happen right now in twenty twenty. I mean, anybody that is dumb to significant other will be able to relate to the song. I mean, this is one of those classic songs where the guy finds out that his girl has been unfaithful to him and then kindly lets her know that he can't stick around with her and will more than likely feel so much better when she is out of his life. Now, if you've been in this situation before, I'm sure you can picture yourself saying the exact words other than the lyrics of the song by the singer singing it to your significant other. But it's interesting because the lyrics are written in such a conversational way to where it sounds like he's talking to somebody specific. And really, that's what 90% of most commercial pop songs are like since the whole idea of popular music was hatched in the beginning of the 20th century. I think pop songs are like this in more of a conversational way because they were designed to make them super 100% relatable because people communicate with each other verbally pretty much every single day. So songs are written in a conversational way so that way even people who are non-musicians will be able to relate to these songs because essentially they were written from the perspective of someone who isn't a musician, someone who's just a normal, regular, everyday guy, you know, or girl, you know. So essentially, you know, these songs are written in a very conversational way and were supposed to be written from the standpoint of someone who's just a normal Joe Schmo who wasn't a musician. But really, the lead singer of this song is more than happy to get rid of his girlfriend that has been cheating on him behind his back this whole time they were together. And since this is the first episode of the new year of this podcast, as we are in 2020 now, you might be listening to this episode and you might be dating somebody right now that you really don't want to be with anymore and you decide that you you don't want to continue with this new person and any anymore and you decide that you don't want to you know continue on in the new year of 2020 with this person anymore and you'll probably feel a whole lot better when they're gone from your life and not to get super political on this podcast but there are a lot of people in the u.s that would probably feel a whole lot better if our current president was gone from being president of the united states because I'm sure a lot of people wish the lyrics of the song could reflect on how the decision makers of our government feel about what our president did to us as a country. So even though the song was written and originally recorded 55 years ago, it's just as relevant today as it was back in the 60s. Because the whole idea of him saying, look, you know, you did me wrong, you cheated on me, you know, 
get out of my life, please. I'm going to feel so much better when you leave. That concept is so relatable and so, you know, like that that could happen today. It, you know, it's not like, yeah, the song was written in 1965, 55 years ago, but literally this could happen in 2020. I mean, there's no, I mean, it could, it could happen in the 60s, it can happen right now. So, you know, if you're listening to this episode of this podcast and you're around my age, then, you know, this might become your new favorite song because it touches an exact situation that you've been through personally yourself. So if you never heard the song before, well, there you go. So that concludes part one of episode number 84 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on this week's song and you thought it was super interesting you never heard this song before, um, you can email me at samltwilliaicloud.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Now, as per usual, the things that you can find uh, for this podcast in the description of this episode of this podcast are, one, the link to my official Spotify playlist for this podcast. There you'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about my show so far, including some ones I've mentioned before and some of the interviews I've done. Um, hopefully you'll check that out because that should give you a good idea for what kind of music I talk about in the show. Hopefully when you listen to it, you'll, you know, inspire you to make me, make, uh, give me some suggestions on some songs I haven't talked about on this podcast that I should do next. And if you have any of those ideas for me, you can email them to me at samltwilliaicloud.com. And you can also forward those to me on Instagram if you want our oldies, if you're not really into email. And yeah, so also another really cool thing is in the description of this episode of this podcast is the link to my podcast merch store. There you'll be able to find the super cool uh, logo design that I got for my podcast that I came up with. I had someone else design. It's basically um, the, the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode of this podcast and keep on trucking tie-dye font with the name of my podcast on the bottom. So there you'll be able to find that. And uh, I have a bunch of really cool merch items on there and a bunch of different um, prices. So um, if you want, you can go in there and purchase something. But if you don't have the money to afford to purchase anything, that's okay. At least like some feedback on the merch as far as the prices of each item in the store and also the logo itself. I like some feedback on that as well. And by the way, just one more thing. Um, I haven't been quite saying this on my podcast a lot, but if you're listening to the show through the Apple Podcast app, I love it if you can leave me a review. You know, just let me know what you think of the show. If you have any constructive criticism or feedback for this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you can just leave me a review. If you're randomly checking the show on the Apple Podcast app, I'd really appreciate it if you could just leave me a review and I'll look at them and maybe I'll shout you out. But yeah, so um that's you know i really appreciate it if you can do that and uh and yeah so um this week's episode again it's a little different because i'm doing a song that wasn't a hit at all even though it was a huge regional hit in la coming up next week on this podcast i'm going to really dig deep into the history behind the birds um now i must warn you next week episode might be a little bit long because um, this band has such an in-depth history behind them because they did so many things within the time that they were together. It, w- it was just insane. So, um, you know, I will, uh, that episode might be a little bit more than 30 minutes long. We'll see. I'll try to keep it pretty condensed, but you know, I just really want to give you guys a good understanding of their history and trust me, it's going to be a very interesting episode. So you don't want to miss out on it. 
so yeah, so I'll let you guys know when my next interview episode is. I don't have anyone reserved right now as far as my next person I'm going to interview for my podcast. I'm hoping to get the voice of SpongeBob on my podcast, but we'll see about that. I still have to figure out his schedule and everything. Um, hopefully, maybe I'll save that for episode 100 of this podcast. Maybe that'll be the 100th episode. I'll get him on as a guest. Um, but we'll see, and I'll let you guys know when I have another guest on my show. I'm still working on that, and uh, you know, for now, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And then, if you have any specific feedback for the show you want to let me know, please do that. Email me at samlcwillett@cloud.com, or you can reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies. But anyway, so I'm Sam Williams, and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, police. Key things groovy. Mm-hmm.